Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Editor's Desk here on Biz News Radio with me, Felicity Duncan, and with Alec Hug. Alec, one of the things that we've talked about quite frequently, actually, on our, our show is the importance of balance, the importance of uh, not necessarily accepting the word of one person as gospel, but maintaining a critical mindset, maintaining a mindset that seeks out both sides of any story and tries to look for evidence as opposed to uh, just he said, she said, uh, they said, we said type situation, right? Uh, evidence really being at the heart of what journalism is all about. And this week, there's been some interesting perspectives that you've been gathering on stories that I think for a long time have been very one-sided. And I'm thinking here particularly both about the Watson family and the whole uh, Bosasa saga and the interesting um, work you've been doing on that side. And then also Steinhoff, your discussion um, with uh, with former Town CEO. They're, both of these stories were ones that everyone had a very clear perspective on and it was very much on one side and there was little critical investigation of this. And I think that that's shifted, at least uh, for us this week. Do you want to talk a bit about uh, that process? Yeah, it, it, to me, we must never forget that journalism is like a journal. So it's always two sides to a story. It doesn't mean that you have to give equal balance to both sides because often uh, if you have a murderer who's murdered somebody, well, he's, he's done that. And uh, then you might look at his upbringing and say that that would be uh, partly to blame, as a court of law would do, and uh, those would be extenuating circumstances. But generally speaking, it's pretty clear what the facts are in, in every matter. But the problem that we are finding increasingly, I believe, in journalism, and in particularly in South Africa, developing a young democracy, developing country, a, a country where the there is a tendency amongst the media owners to replace the wise uh, old heads, if you can put it that way, or certainly those with institutional memory, with bodies who perhaps have not been exposed to uh, the hard knocks that you get from getting stuff wrong. And as a consequence of that, it's very often a one-sided, uh, almost a, a, a single-dimension approach to articles. And we're seeing the danger of that now increasingly when you start off with something like the whole Bosasa saga. Remember that when you go to a court of law, everybody puts in the affidavit. So you'll have an affidavit from the one side and an affidavit from the other side. And the truth that is up to the court or the judge to determine. In journalism, we have to also bear that in mind and often don't seem to be doing that. And uh, the, the case in point here is in the Zondo Commission, we had this sensational uh, testimony by uh, Angelo Agrizi, who was the chief operating officer of Basasa, who said that, yes, I did lots of things wrong, but uh, I was manipulated and told to do them by my boss, Gavin Watson. And that's really the essence of it. Nobody approached Gavin Watson to say, are you prime evil? What did you do? Uh, why did you do this? And no one really went and dug into his circumstance to discover, had they done so, that he lives in a two-bedroom uh, flat in Krugersdorp, whereas his chief operating officer uh, lived seriously in the lap of luxury with many supercars and so on. And only now is that coming to the for only now are people starting to ask those questions and, and we're seeing it more and more you know for this 
honesty. When I first interviewed Valence Watson, who is the third of the of the Watson brothers, and is a guy that I met through our former colleague Barry Sargent, our late colleague Barry Sargent, who is a, a great investigations office, uh, editor, because he would check all sides of the story. He never ever went with just one side. And when I met him and, and interviewed him and put that forward, we were roundly criticised for allowing. In essence, uh, people who were telling lies and, and, uh, uh that is what we were criticized uh, of doing. And it was almost like one way traffic. I remember we had the same with the Guptas in the 2016. Up until the Gupta leaks were released, it was almost like everything that we, we were writing about the Guptas was being either ignored or criticized from other quarters. But of course came the Gupta leaks in 2017. The whole narrative changed. And it's a similar thing here, I think, that now that the the supposed prime evil is shown to have been actually a grandfather who was married for 38 years with four grandkids and three kids and uh, was was a, a chap who, who really had done a lot of work in the struggle from a family that, that sacrificed a great deal in that time. Um, they are uh, a deeply Christian family in their own beliefs. They don't drink, they don't swear, they don't screw around <laughs> they generally pray a lot um, and all of that was written off on the testimony of a greasy at the Zondo Commission um, as hypocrisy so whatever they said uh, the, the, the narrative was well these guys are a bunch of hypocrites anyway look at how they've, uh, they've looted the country but suddenly there's a sense that well maybe it isn't uh, all isn't exactly as it seems and that really was was, again, a very good lesson for us at, at Biz News. And I think another lesson for South Africa and for the media generally is that nothing is, is 100% wrong or 100% right. Nobody is in, in that camp. There's always, there's always shades. Life is gray. It's not black or white. And we, we sometimes forget that. And I think that the, the, the Watson story is really reminding us of that uh, that essence that to to put your neck out there to make assessments when actually the complexities are always such that you don't really even start to know what you don't know uh, is a very very dangerous way of approaching our craft. Well, I think uh, for me one of the things that has been troubling about a lot of reporting um, on different things, so I'm not necessarily speaking specifically here about the Watsons or Steinhoff or anything in particular, but just in general, is the reliance on um, what people say and the de-emphasis on uh, what you might call physical evidence. Um, so I'm thinking here, you know, there's a lot of talk in South Africa about having mandatory asset disclosures, for example. Um, where, you know, financial institutions and, and would be responsible, maybe, or people would be responsible for disclosing fully the list of assets that they own, anything that's attached to their, uh, ID numbers or the, their families, whatever the case may be, uh, just to provide factual context, because so much of what we're seeing um, reported and so much even of what we're seeing in like the Zondo Commission as you use it as an example is is just verbal testimony and you know even if people are being honest one person's perspective on a series of events can be very different from another person's I mean if you've ever been in an argument with your husband or wife or partner you know that that's true so I think for me something that's really been missing is this insistence on 
people not just saying things, but proving what they say in some way. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And I like the, the asset-based uh, approach because it is fact-based. It, it, people can still hide assets away. That's pretty easy to do. But then they're taking a massive risk of uh, perjury, which uh, can land them in jail. So there is no uh, perfect. Uh, approach towards this, but at least let's get halfway. Let's let's just let's follow the money to begin with, or follow the money that we can understand and appreciate, or or are able to track down. The narrative is uh, is very easily spun, and and that was the point I was getting back to right in the beginning, getting trying to get to it right in the beginning, which is we have in a democracy a court of law and a court of public opinion. Now the court of law. You will have two people giving their, their their perspectives in affidavits, and the media, which is the court of public opinion, should not go to the court of law and only focus on the one affidavit and only report on the one affidavit. Their job is actually to report on both and to say, well, okay, so this guy says that the neighbour uh, cut down the tree in a fit of peak. The other guy, the neighbour, says that uh, this chap has been. Um, uh, shouting over the fence and using the the, the tree to hop over and to steal uh, stuff from <laughs> from his, his his garden. So as a result, he cut the tree down. So it's 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 really to try and get both sides of the story. But we seem increasingly to forget that in the court of public opinion, in the search for uh, clickbait, for headlines, for juniorization of newsrooms, etc. And it really is a a, a reminder. Yeah, we can talk about, about Steinhoff in a moment, that we've really got to look at both sides of the story and that there, there always are two sides to every single story. Steinhoff is such a good example. Here you've got a guy who was a sociopath who, who stole money uh, from shareholders by using an audit firm in Germany to, to fudge the accounts, uh, put through fictitious invoices, uh, over bloat or bloat the, the, uh, the revenue numbers. And he really has come across in every single bit of reporting as this uh, extremely evil, nasty, uh, narcissistic human being called Marcus Joerster. And then we talked to Bram von Hastien's colleague, uh, Bernard Mostert, this week from Techie Town, a company that was effectively bought for 3.3 million, 3.3 billion rands in Steinhoff script by I, Eurster, who knew exactly that the Steinhoff script was worthless. And yet Brian van Hastien is saying, I'll forgive this guy. I'll, I, I, it doesn't mean I don't want my money back. I don't want my company back. I want that back. But uh, he, he might have been uh, influenced by other circumstances. And indeed, he did not act alone. So at this point in time, all we're knowing, uh, we've got Eurster as the prime evil He's supposedly the, 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 the this mastermind who's messed, who's who's uh, caused the, the the mess that is now called Steinhoff. But actually, everybody else around him who acted with him has been ignored in the focus on the one individual. And Bram van Hastien and Bernard Mostert in the interview this week are reminding us that no, it, there were other people there as well. And uh, as much as you do blame Yusta for what happened, you can't blame him alone. And I think it's that. A kind of um, broader color, that, that, that greater perspective, that appreciation of the complexities of life, which is something that we should never forget in our quest in, in journalism, or hopefully not ours at Business, but in the quest in the media to, to get more readers, more eyeballs, uh, and, and more sensationalism.
Absolutely. Now, talking about complexity, we have um, coming up next week the uh, the World Economic Forum Africa meetings happening in Cape Town, and that is always uh, something that in which complexity features very strongly because uh, the the meeting addresses a lot of questions and issues um, that are facing economies right across the continent, which is a very diverse place, a place with a lot of um, very different types of economies from a sophisticated economy like South Africa down to far less more agricultural dependent uh, economies maybe up uh, in the west of Africa and uh, you are going to be we're going to be doing some coverage of that yeah I'll be there um, this time around they've asked me to facilitate a session as well which is going to be quite fun that's on how to promote investment into Africa but more and more as I, I've uh, been exposed to the World Economic Forum and and even to um, the, the Davos meeting in January and now this uh, the, the regular um, events in in Africa we have a it's a regional forum every second year it's held in Cape Town uh, it then moves to another part of the continent last time last year I think was in Rwanda um, I know I've attended uh, events in Dar es Salaam. Um, and uh, in Mozambique, in Maputo. So it's, it's, it's an opportunity when you go to these regional events to, to see other parts of the world or other parts of the continent. But more and more what strikes me about this is the way that we can learn from each other. There was this arrogance in the past that South Africa was the biggest economy on the continent and South Africa was the one that everyone else should be learning from, when in essence that's not really the case. Uh, uh, getting back to what we spoke about last week with Gigi Alcock, he made the point that if you were to only uh, assess the formal economy in Nigeria in the same way that we only assess the formal economy in South Africa, well, then it would be a tiny place, but uh, with maybe only 5% of the total economic activity being in the formal sector. So we can learn more from how lesser developed uh, countries on this continent are actually handling things like the informal sector because um, if you don't measure it, you can't manage it. And if you can start measuring it, you can start adapting to it uh, in, or adapting policies towards it. There's, there's so much that the countries on this continent can learn from each other being in different stages of development and having different pockets of their economies that are like other parts of the world. You, if, if you go to um, where I spend quite a lot of time just outside Broncos Sprite with the when I was involved with the St Joseph's um, uh, outreach mission there, that, which was HIV and 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 looking at at the difficulties in those areas. Uh, if you look at the the townships there, which have just sprung out of informal sector, a place called Dark City, because there's no electricity or never never has been electricity there, and so on, and, and some of those places, you get an, a sense that that is probably exactly the same condition as you would have in parts of very underdeveloped uh, Mozambique or go further north, uh, Doris, uh, uh, Tanzania and so on. So there's, there's so much that one can learn from others. And it, the, the, the beginning of learning is humility and contact and communication. And this World Economic Forum event, uh, in the Africa Summit, has grown in stature over many years. And I think more and more with a Cyril Ramaphosa calls his government, his administration, a listening government. And I think we're going to find a lot of listening going on uh, from South Africans at the, uh, the WEF in Cape Town next week. And I'm really looking forward to, to, to seeing that, to what 
missing that because in the past the the attitude really was well we are the biggest and the most advanced and, and we know what we're doing and don't tell us anything uh, whereas uh, that arrogance is now pretty much out of the picture with the new administration not least because this country is struggling at the moment economically That's all we have time for. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to read a transcript of this interview, it's going to be up in the premium section. You can subscribe to premium just £5 a month, and that gives you access to the great content that we produce here at Biz News and full digital access to the Wall Street Journal.